I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. Hello, hello. I am uh, today uh, joined by an incredible couple. Honestly, I don't like being around them very much because they are so fit and I am so fat. Uh, but, uh, but the truth is they follow a wonderful, no-nonsense approach to fitness that actually is quite fresh, quite refreshing in many ways. Their podcast is number one in the UK in health and fitness. It is, it's called Not So Fit. I think if you guys join us on video, you will realize they were sort of mocking me a little bit <laughs> that. Uh, I'm going to be a guest on their podcast. So if you want to come and join us in the conversation there, I think you'll enjoy it very much. And I have to admit, they have been wonderful in so many ways in explaining things to me about my not-so-fit lifestyle that I think were very eye-opening and, uh, and informative. But bet- between you and I, we're not telling anyone about this. I'm not going to ask them as much about fitness, but more a bit about themselves and their story and how they ended up where they are, because I think that's uh, extremely inspiring and impressive. So Lucy Davis and Ben Holden are truly fitness celebrities, if you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of followers on social media, very, very successful podcast, but wonderful uh, in every possible way. Thank you so much for joining me. That was so that, lovely. That was the nicest ring walk entrance I think I've ever Is that true? Yes. That was really lovely. That's the worst that I've ever done. <laughs> flattered. <laughs> no, really, really flattered and appreciate you having us on. It's amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. I have to say, I didn't tell you this before we recorded because I wanted to see how your faces will be. When we got in touch the first time, the first I got to know about you was a video that you posted, at least I saw it on YouTube, that was about 16 days in Disney. And for my listeners, Ben and Lucy are a couple. And I am, you know me, I'm a bit of a, you know, a logic person. I like facts. I like everything to be as it is. And I get a little frustrated with proposals. Uh, But you posted uh, how Ben proposed to you. (laughs) And, uh, And Lucy being fit as you are, always <laughs> telling us to work out and do stuff. You were so girly and so cute. Oh. And it was so beautiful. I was like, oh. <laughs> honestly, I think it was the shock, the fact that it was abroad as well. Because I didn't uh-huh. even fathom that Ben would take a ring across on a plane, be able to do that, like not lose it or anything like that. <laughs> so I, I was in just complete shock you, you had no clue he was taking you to to disney for 16 days i knew about disney uh, on, but i didn't a, know about on the balloon, proposal uh, on a high altitude uh, hot air balloon no you didn't guess no well 
as we arrived, obviously you're really jet lagged. You arrive in America, you're all a bit flustered. <laughs> Race through the Disney parks was in my head. And then Ben was like, oh, we're going to get up at half four. And I went, no, we're not. That's absolutely ridiculous. Why are we getting up at half four in the morning? We need to sleep. We need to rest. And he went, no, no, we, we really need to get up at half four. And he just showed me a picture because I wouldn't shut up about it of the hot air balloon. He's like, we're going on a hot air balloon. So that to me was a big enough surprise. So mm-hmm. when he managed to get down on one knee in this little little Aww. space that we had. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. It was it was truly amazing. I, I'm I'm impressed, Ben. I, I really am, honestly. I mean, I watch your videos just with <laughs> envy all the time. Uh, when when you tell people to be serious about what they do and so on, you're so romantic. Like- I, I think Lisa's experience was probably very different to what my experience was of the proposal. So, so, <laughs> I can't so what, what Lucy didn't know was because because of COVID, I'd been ring shopping two years prior to that moment. Have you been? So I'd planned it. I'd been and bought the ring. I'd been and done everything, basically. Mm. And then COVID happened, which meant that we had to push it back and then push it back again. So that, coupled with taking a ring abroad, coupled with the guy who ran the hot air balloon event, literally said to me on the day, we haven't had a hot air balloon go up for th- three months because of the weather. Uh-huh. So I was like, wow, <laughs> so that's more, more, yeah. more pressure. Uh-huh. But you were really, really stressed. Yeah. You got quite poorly. Yeah, I got, because I was so stressed. We were having this conversation earlier about how stress affects the digestive system. I had really bad stomach pain because I was so, so stressed oh, about the proposal. what we do for love. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so Lucy's love story is very different to, to mine. <laughs> to yours. Yeah. No, it was incredible though. Really amazing proposal. It, it, it looked really beautiful and very, 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 very loving between yeah. the two of you. It was, uh, it was, it really touched my heart. How, how long did you know each other by then? Four and a half years. Oh, so this is not years. guesswork. It's not like, oh my God, she's so, you know, nice. I want to be with her. You know, he's seen yeah. all of you. You've seen yeah. all of She her. knows. She knows all my ex. I know all of her ex. <laughs> oh, yeah. is that true? Are, is there any of them that is smaller in size so you can overpower them? Sort of like, you know, I hate you. Kind of <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, you don't do my worst ick. No. I don't, so you know when people run upstairs on all fours, uh-huh. that's an ick for me, but Ben doesn't do that, so I'm okay, uh-huh. yeah, you're fine. <laughs> so, t- so, t- so tell me, uh, how, d- how did you meet? Uh, I guess that's the girl's question. <laughs> it sounds really corny because we're not so fit, we met at a fitness convention. Yeah, of um, I thought so. And I didn't know anyone and I wasn't going to go to this thing, I was a bit nervous, didn't, you knew everyone, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And we arrived at Liverpool train station. I saw Ben and I was like, oh no, this is going to be a problem. Because at the time I was with someone else uh-huh. and Ben was with someone else. And oh, we, it's we, one of those. It's one of those. Interesting. So when we met, we just got on really well that whole weekend. It was just super funny. We had a great time. Ben lived in Liverpool. He's with someone. I live Manchester. I'm with someone. We just didn't really speak for about five or six months and (laughs) this is always funny with my degree because I was at university I was going into my third year and you have work placements and I had a 10-week work placement coming up but I was a very busy person I just started Lucy Davis Fit I was like I need something where someone appreciates how little time I have and do my dissertation and then Ben was like do you want to start coaching with me I'm looking for a female coach I was like yeah sure wink. I can do yeah. wink wink nudge, nudge. <laughs> that's a very good pickup line yeah, yeah. there's the pickup line 
so I started working with Ben for 10 weeks and then just never left. And we got oh. together in that period because we'd split off from our other mm. partners previous to that. And then after we'd been working together for about four weeks, we got together. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm. Who's the boss now? I think it depends who you ask. <laughs> I think we're quite, we're very 50, 50, I'd yeah. say. In, in different ways. I think Lucy takes responsibility for a lot of the things in the business that I don't. She's very creative. She is very, very organized, very OCD almost with a lot of things. Yeah. Whereas I'm sometimes so laid back, I'll, I'll fall over. So she keeps me propped up and I take care of a lot more of the businessy side of things. Mm. So we work well together. Yeah, because I, I have to say working well together as a couple is probably a topic that is rare to find, if you don't mind me saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really rare. And it's quite hard to explain to people because if you haven't experienced it or you've tried it, a lot of the time it doesn't it doesn't actually work when you're working with your partner. But we always say because we started off working together for a couple of weeks and with a couple straight away we don't know any different ah interesting and i personally could not be with someone who wasn't as into fitness as as i am because i don't think (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't think someone else would understand the pressures of having businesses and then the pressures of social media and fitness and but because we're in it together it's not we don't know no different a lot, a lot of couples, especially guys who you'll speak to, they can't wait to on a Friday or Saturday night, escape down to the pub, have a pint and be away from the other half. So I think for me and Lucy, it's, it's probably very strange to other people that we get up together, we work together, we go to the gym together and then we spend our weekends and stuff together, together as well. But because that's always been the way that we've worked and we get on so well together, I want to spend more time with her and she wants to spend more time with me. So it's not look, like we're looking for that escapism to get away to the pub or other places because I think if you find a partner who you really connect with and you love and you can get on with, you're not always looking for that escape from the other person. And don't get me wrong, there's periods of where we argue or bicker because I think every couple has that. But I think the way that we probably address those and the language that we use and the way that we, I suppose, patch things back up again means that that's, that's what's been special about our relationship and why we can spend so much time together as well. I love you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I mean, it's really so sweet. And it, it shows even before I met you that there is a level of appreciation. It's not love. It's There is a level of appreciation for mm-hmm. each other's differences that is quite, um, I think, more at least to me, it was more visible than the appreciation of each other's similarities. Mm-hmm. You know, the the fact, you know, a lot of the fun videos that I see are commenting on something about Lucy or your, you know, when you're talking on your podcast, it's always, the, you're, you're not ashamed that you're different in, in certain yeah. ways and, and you sort of like it, actually. I think you have to be a bit different from your partner. If we agreed on everything, I think that would be really boring. If (laughs) we were talking about a topic, because we do have disagreements and we're at the stage in our relationship. I think the podcast and having businesses has helped our relationship because we can have a discussion about something and we could have completely opposing views Uh as in really different, but we won't necessarily 
argue and bicker I'm like you think that that's great but this is my opinion hear me out and I think that's quite good for our relationship because we've been able to grow together in how we communicate and yeah I think that's quite special I think it, I think it probably helps other people sometimes as well because people could quite easily look at our Instagram or other people's Instagram and then compare their relationship to other people's and think everything's golden and rosy all the time and potentially even cause other couples to bicker because they believe the grass is greener maybe Mm. somewhere else Mm. but I think maybe us having our podcast conversations with you today where we can talk about like we still have issues we still have arguments we still have problems we just work through them together can hopefully help other people realize that just because they see images of beautiful people on social media and Instagram doesn't mean that everything's perfect in life all the time so try not to compare it and, and see that as kind of the the almost what you're trying to pin up and hope that your relationship will be like. Yeah. So, so it's, it's not really about completing each other's words rather than maybe understanding mm-hmm. the words of the other, basically being open to the idea that you're, you're going to be different, mm-hmm. but you still didn't say who's the boss. <laughs> so we we disagree like today yeah. for example you wanted i don't i'm just making this up you wanted to come with an uber he wanted to come with a the train whatever right is there a moment where ben goes like no i'm wearing the pants we're taking the uber or you i Lucy? think i'm quite good at that oh so, there you go do you not so, think that even before it, it, ben it was like should we get gets, an uber and i was like probably no. gets to the point where it's happy wife happy life <laughs> but you did actually suggest an yeah. uber and i looked at cal and just went no We'll just get the tube. Uh-huh. So technically it was me today. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There That's you your go. answer. Yeah. I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really beautiful and, and, uh, and inspiring. Would you say there are secrets to, I mean, look around your friends, your people that you work with. It's not very common that you get that, that you find that level of understanding. Would you say there are certain secrets that you find? I definitely think communication is one of the biggest things as in in, in terms of secrets between me and Lucy or secrets yeah. that we keep from other people? No, no secrets between you that make you so matching, so in love, sort of. I, I think there's definitely things that some some people may call them white lies, uh-huh. where you're potentially trying to protect the other person. I think if you could be a flyer on the wall in every single situation of your partner's life, it's not particularly healthy. To, to know every single detail about that because there could be some conversations that you have with the guys or or, thre- or friends which have no real malice to them but your partner may not see it that way yeah it's like if I was talking to my girl best friends about Ben and boys and it's not exactly the same conversation that I go home and tell Ben everything the conversation that I've just had because it's not necessarily something that he would need That's to know so or even under he, he wouldn't even understand some of the girly chats we have just as as ben said there so i'm 25 ben's 30 there's a lot of group chats ben has his laddie group chats and things like that i would never want to know what goes on in a boys group chat just as he wouldn't want to know what goes on in the girls group chat so that is something that i think is actually really important the point you brought up there you don't have to know every single thing because you're in a committed relationship you're very happy happily in love but you have to be independent in your relationship as well you have to be able to have time away from each other you have to have your own thinking space you need time to miss one another as well and because we do spend so much time together we have to make that time happen 
we have to now I'm going to go away this weekend I'm going to go see my mom or whatever it is so that's something we always work on yeah I think just because you're in a relationship as well doesn't make you blind to every other being on earth Mm. so I think there'll be observations that you make and conversations that you have with other people that you potentially wouldn't have with your partner I don't think that makes you a bad person or there's any malice in that but again it's probably not nice to hear for the other person if that makes sense it, it makes a ton of sense i actually I'm, I'm writing exactly about the topic i i believe that the traditional i call it dizzywood like disney and hollywood mm. you know view of love and romance is to you know lock us in a place in a confined space as i call it and just make sure that we're together all the time and that everything is discussed and everything is addressed and it's just too much and, you know, uh, so, so I, I say the model, sadly, you know, maybe started by Catholicism and then uh, becoming the norm of what is expected in a relationship is all of me all the time, mm-hmm. exclusively forever. And I think that's actually really, really stressful. And it mm-hmm. might be wonderful in the early times of romance and so on. But then eventually, like you rightly said, you know, you need to spend time with your mom and you need to spend time away and you need to have, you know, separate parts of your life, maybe a hobby, maybe something that is not shared with your partner because otherwise it's just becomes too suffocating, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think one, of the, one of the other recent conversations is quite a lot of, I don't know how much time you spend on TikTok, Mo. I don't at the, all, actually. Yeah. I have, I, I think I have a, like one of my videos is like, Two million to four million views or something, but I'm not on TikTok. So, ba- so, yeah. so, so basically, you're you're the, you're the secret Andrew Tate of the TikTok world. So although you don't have an account, uh-huh. your your media is everywhere. Yeah. Um. But there's there's conversations that crop up quite often around. Obviously, the the use of social media creates a different space for relationships. Yeah. And there's, there's conversations about like, well, should either partner be liking other girls or guys' pictures? Uh, and that, that comes up quite often and kind yeah. of what is the intent behind what would what would your view be on that if you were in a relationship and a I mean, it really is a lie if we assume that it's not going to happen. Like we are humans at the end of the day. And if your partner expects that you're not going to admire the beauty of another person, then that's a bit of a, you know, an unrealistic expectation. I think, mm-hmm. I think some of the best couples out there comment on the bum of a pretty girl together. It's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, look at that. Yeah, right? we, do you guys we, do that? We, yeah, if there's an attractive guy, Ben would be like, oh, he's, a, he's handsome. No, no, guys, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he's like, being able to appreciate someone who is attractive or we work in the fitness space. Yeah. So if Ben liked a picture of a fitness girl, he's he's appreciating what, what she looks like. Same if I was to do it with a guy. It's not... It's not a bad thing, and we've—I mean, we've had those conversations together. If if he was liking naked pictures, might be slightly different. (laughs) That might be slightly different because that's probably one of my personal boundaries. Mm. Like nude pictures, probably not. But other things, we've had that conversation. And if you haven't had those conversations with your partner, and it's an issue for you internally, have those conversations. Like, have an open conversation with your partner how about how it makes you feel i i I think you guys are lying about your age you're like maybe in your 270 years old like this kind (laughs) of maturity in a relationship is normally comes 
actually among my friends normally comes on the third, you know, real committed marriage or relationship. And people normally are not like that when they are 25 and 30. So I think COVID may have sped. You spent sped COVID together. Yes. yes locked, we did. locked together. Yeah. So yeah. that probably sped the process up a little bit ah. as well. Mm. Ah. Coup- yeah. Coupled with, uh, we've both been through therapy. So I think that really helped open dialogue in different ways or potentially we, we, we would you mind if you share a little bit about that because i think that's a very inspiring story because mm-hmm. when people watch you i mean for my listeners who don't know i think ben you have like seventy thousand followers mm-hmm. on, on instagram of course lucy has what five hundred and seventy thousand or something like that mm-hmm. who's the boss uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but uh, but you know the 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 thing is um when we watch you at this instant in your life, we think that everything's always been perfect, but it it wasn't. Mm-hmm. So therapy, what happened? So therapy for me, like I kind of stumbled upon it. I would, I think it was probably because of my love of fitness that created a, a darker space for me, and the the kind of comparison to others consumed me. Mm. I think the extremism of the sport of bodybuilding probably had a, a massive so you were you were competing as a yes bodybuilder yeah not at this time but i think what had happened in my early years massively played um a role on that i think relationships with uh, my dad earlier on in my life played a part on that and then lockdown kind of drilled everything down and gave me a lot more time to think and it kind of created this dark space for me mm. where I developed an, an eating disorder called NES, which is nighttime eating syndrome. It's quite oh, I like it's, that. Is that the disorder? Yeah, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite, it's quite rare. Uh-huh. Um, so, so basically, that you're, you know, you're snacking between six p.m. and the time you go to bed, right? Yeah, we all do it. yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah. This this um, variation of it's a little bit different. So you're kind of unconscious doing it. It's like sleepwalking. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, oh, so you get out of bed to eat. Oh, it's yes. about it's like 1, two a.m. in the morning. One two a.m. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So it's it's un- like unconscious sleepwalking, mm-hmm. and then it was to the point where I was getting like bloody throat because I'd be eating the most unusual combinations ever. So I'd be like having a Twix with hummus or something like that because <laughs> anything, you, any, you could anything find. you could so find. Long. Yeah, no, That's no funny. It, I'd wake up in the morning and there'd be just crap all over the sides yeah. because it's you don't you don't. Chew or swallow anything yeah. properly, so that's why you get uh, bloody throat because mm-hmm. you don't digest anything. So it was really bad in the digestive system. Uh, I was really depressed the next day because, as a as a coach, as a fit individual who had held myself up to these standards for so many years, I was failing at the thing that I was trying to help other people do. So that for me was really difficult to kind of come to terms with, and that was making me depressed. And this went on for several months. To the point where one morning I got up and just cried and said to Lucy, I don't want to be here anymore. Oh my God. Yeah. So it was, it got that bad. I'd contemplated taking my own life with it. And it sounds really strange when, or for some people, probably strange to really think about like, how can getting up in the middle of the night eating food leads lead to a, this it's a disconnect between yeah. who you see yourself as exactly and what you actually it was are. it was more about identity than, yeah. than, than yeah. anything else and that got to the point where i was like right i need to do th- something for myself but i also needed to do it for lucy as well because she wasn't happy 
she the way that I was then because I was so grumpy in the morning and angry I wasn't like giving her my best selfie either so that was a real reason that I went to therapy and within that we picked a, a lot of things apart to do with the thing that we kind of drill it down to and I think people may relate to this a little bit as well is to do with self-sabotage mm-hmm. and we drilled it back to my childhood where I'd had it a lot with self-sabotage. Whenever the, the the evenings where it happened, so it didn't happen every evening when the NS, the evenings when it happened would be when anything a good happened in my life, it, it would oh. happen. So when it, any good news, anything successful in my career, in my life, it would happen directly after that. So it was almost like when a drug addict takes a, a drug and a high, they needed that come down to come back down and it'd spike again and then come back down. So that was the kind of repetition it, it had followed. And I learned a lot about myself in therapy and I learned a lot about jealousy as well and the feeling of jealousy because I think it was something that I had always viewed as a, a very negative emotion. I think a lot of people probably do as well yeah. and let that consume me with comparison. But it was I, I learned a lot through therapy about letting jealousy be it's an emotion that everyone gets. It doesn't have to be a negative if you don't act on it and you don't let it con- consume. If you just be an observer of it, yeah. Uh, and that really helped, and that helped me be a, a better communicator with Lucy as well, and and speak about things, and then obviously open up about this topic and speak to more people about it. Which then, when I started to speak about it, I was surprised about how, how many, many guys. Yeah. Then I had hundreds of, of DMs and guys like I've been through this, I've done this, and I think that's been a nice thing about speaking about it because. Um, it can then make more p- other people aware and more proactive because we're, we're so proactive with our physical health but I think a lot, I was always reactive yeah. with mental health I want to come back to this in a minute uh, because I think the idea of sort of the negative side to obsession with fitness is actually quite an interesting topic. Uh, but f- f- hats off, honestly, for especially for the image of someone who is fit and manly and strong and you know to be able to get to that point where you admit to yourself hey i'm i'm sabotaging my own life i'm sabotaging my love relationship i'm affecting everyone around me negatively i think that's definitely um, a very commendable position to take so i i love that i'll come back to this in a second but lucy you're not a stranger to that either which i actually could not believe when you told me the story yeah i don't think a lot of people can see that i had an eating disorder. Because, I cannot believe that. Yeah, it's a really weird one because eating disorders don't necessarily, I mean, I obviously don't have one now, but they don't necessarily have a physique type. But mine's, my story is a little bit different to Ben. So I used to be a full-time swimmer. So I grew up as a competitive athlete, swam all over the world, represented my country. But with swimming... You know, when you say those things, my love for you gets into a bit of... <laughs> A bit of jealousy, like, what's wrong with me? Go ahead, go ahead. Um, But, so being a very young girl in sport from the age of 14, you just, you're looking at yourself every day. You become very aware of your weight. So from the age of 14 to 18, we were pretty much weighed before and after every session. Is that true? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's very similar with gymnastics, swimming. They're very intense. And ours was very strange. They would weigh us before and after to see how much we drank in the session to see if we were heavier after. If we And I was like, it does, does not work like that. But they used to weigh us. We had our body fats measured. So I look back now 
And I'm like, that's really sad for 14, 15, 16 year old Lucy Davis. And as soon as I stopped swimming and I stopped just because I got to the stage where it wasn't for me anymore. I wasn't as fast to go to the Olympics. Mm. And I just had a very level head. I was like, I can't swim for the rest of my life. I can't swim nine times a week. I went to university. As soon as I stopped swimming, I completely lost all sense of identity. Something I'd done for 10 years. Oh yeah, Lucy's the swim. Oh, Lucy Davis, the swimmer. It wasn't just Lucy Davis. It was Lucy Davis, the swimmer for eight years. And when that was taken away from me, I, I was just very, very lost. Left home, went to university. And as a swimmer, when you're trained nine times a week, you can eat a lot of food. You can have loads. It's not really, it's just get the calories in. So when I stopped, so from going nine times a week, I was like, right, okay, so now I need to hit the gym nine times a week and maybe to eat up, a, yeah. to keep up with what I was doing to how I looked. I wanted to be really skinny. It was the era of the thigh gap where women wanted to be really, like size zero <laughs> was models. Was there an era called the thigh gap? Oh, the thigh gap, yeah, which is actually I, to do with like your bones. Where, where, where was I during that? <laughs> God, you don't want to be around the thigh gap era. It was, it was the worst era. And I just very naturally at uni, away from home, cooking for myself, just developed an eating disorder. And mine was bulimia. So bulimia is where you eat food and you throw up and you obsessively exercise to burn off calories. And and that was not because of external pressure. It wasn't that anyone was telling no, you, I didn't oh, tell you're gaining us, no. weight. Yeah. I didn't tell a soul. I just kept it to myself. It was just very... I was very, very concerned with what I looked like in the mirror. I just wanted to be as tiny as possible and very skinny because I was as a swimmer. So I wanted, I didn't want to lose that because I didn't know any different. And that's when I was about 18, 19 and it got to second year of uni. And I was like, I need to do something about this because I hadn't told anyone because this is going back about five, six years. People didn't speak about eating disorders. I didn't have anyone to turn to. I didn't want to tell my mom, my dad, my sister. I was like, no, keep it to yourself. And that's when I changed my Instagram name to Lucy Davis Fit because I was like, I'm going to do it for me. I'm going to post my befores and afters. I'm going to prop my phone up in the gym and post some workout videos. And that started to get quite a lot of traction. And from that, I did my... PT qualifications I became qualified and over the years I overcame my eating disorder by myself but then I also had this overwhelming sense to empower women not to yes have what I had or Absolutely. go through what I had and you know it's better to be strong not skinny was my thing and my reasoning so it was a very very strong why for me to get away from it it obviously just took about three or four years because but Doesn't what was the turning overnight. point? I mean, how do you come out of an eating disorder on your own? It's very hard on your own. And I'd never recommend anyone to do that. If you can seek help or speak to any, I wish I'd spoken to my sister or my mum at the time because they would have been really helpful. Yeah, but there is always the association of shame with it. It's shame, like, um, yeah. guilt, embarrassed. I was just embarrassed because I was a swimmer and it shouldn't happen. Whereas it actually happens to loads of athletes Absolutely. who come out of sports. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't say do what I did. I always say to people, categorically, don't not tell anyone, speak to someone, communicate, open up, have those conversations, seek professional help if you can. I think educating yourself on the eating disorder is important as well to understand what's going on in your body, in your head and things like that. And as Ben said, therapy. I still have therapy now. 
weekly. I love I love therapy sessions. <laughs> I love it. So I talk I, about I, I everything. Think, I think that clip is going to be our uh, our promo for. <laughs> yeah, I love therapy. I love therapy. <laughs> it's just the idea of speaking to a third party person. I love that. Yeah. Who I mean. They know everything about you by the time you've gone through therapy for a while, but they have no judgment on what you say. Like they, you could say anything and they are not going to judge you. You don't need to feel embarrassed. And I love that about therapy. I think it's very, very powerful. I mean, I've been with different therapists as I've moved around and I just have them by Zoom now. And I think it's great because you can be anywhere and still have Mm. your session. But that was very valuable Mm. to me. Mm. So I, in an interesting way, I think, as I said many times in our conversation, and I feel that the most beautiful part of the two of you is how you are social media celebrities, but you're very, very human in a lot of the things that you do. And it's in an, in an interesting way, I think it acts as a very, very powerful reminder to everyone that you, we all are human, you know, and I think the challenge with with fitness specifically, is because what you guys do is very difficult for anyone to attain. In general, I mean, we can all be fit and we're gonna come to to what fitness is in a minute, but to be fit with a six pack and you know to be so disciplined in what you do and, and to be able to dedicate the time, the lifestyle, the diet and so on and so forth, is not something that everyone can do. And so when it's so unattainable, you get viewed as, oh, they must be superhuman. But I think what you guys portray so openly is, hey, we're just another couple really, right? Has that always been how you are? Has that always been? I mean, you must have sort of bragged a little to get your early followers, no? Let me interrupt this podcast for a minute to tell you about my latest initiative, unstressable.com. Unstressable is a members community based on my book with my co-author Alice Law, which will come out in 2023. Members of Unstressable get a library of training materials, daily tools to manage their stress, a free monthly webinar where you can ask your questions, guest expert talks about relevant topics, and the best of all, a members community where you can talk to other like-minded people to learn tips and tricks about how to manage your stress better. Being one of my beloved listeners on Slow-Mo, the first 50 that will sign up for Unstressable.com this week will get a two-month free membership. Use the code SLOWMEDOWN when you sign up to get your free gift. Remember, this gift is only for the first 50 who sign up. So do it fast. Go to Unstressable.com, join our community, and learn how to lead a stress-free life. I cannot wait to see you there because living stressed is not living. It's a really weird one because, so from my perspective as a woman with a six pack and a lot of muscle, it naturally gained quite a lot of attention early on when Instagram used to grow really quickly and it just gained a lot of traction. And at the time, so going back five years when I first started, I got a lot of validation from it. And <laughs> it's, you. it's it's a weird thing because you shouldn't associate 
like alike to how you feel. Mm-hmm. But it was, I was in this cycle, which probably didn't help my eating disorder at the time. But I was in this cycle of, okay, liked, people must think I look good. And it was this circle of going back and forth, like a, quite a vicious circle for me. But I detached from that quite quickly because I'm quite performance-based as well, as in health, aesthetics and performance, not just aesthetics like it was for the first couple of months where I was just, how good do I look? How good can I look? That became quite unhealthy. So I switched it to, let's have some performance goals. Let's have some health goals. So a healthy heart and then have aesthetic goals. So have all three, which we've both had from the start with a very no nonsense approach we're very straight talking which isn't like the sexiest way with fitness people are very much like ab workout in 14 days we don't do that because Mm. it's not real and Mm. we're very transparent disappointing honestly it's very really disappointing because it's impossible it doesn't happen days and then yeah then what it doesn't happen exactly as it has always been i'm i'm i say to people i've i've like here's a picture of me at five years old with a six-pack i was basically genetics I was basically is born that, with is one. Is that part of it? Yeah, genetics is massively in terms of where you store body fat. So why? I, 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 someone needed to tell me that. Yeah, <laughs> because people, good? I could probably make a lot of money by selling our programs mm-hmm. because I have a six pack and it's very prominent. But I'm like, no, no, I've just, I've had them since I was about five. So I detach myself <laughs> from that. Whereas a lot of people in the fitness industry, which I think gives it a bad name, is get abs in 14 days, do this thigh workout in 14 days and get your perfect figure. We're not really that, are we? That's not how we promote no, I think, anything. I think the fitness industry has definitely changed in a way as well. I think the problem with fitness a lot of the time is, especially people who become personal trainers, is that someone's friend will get in shape and then someone will say, you should be a personal trainer. Uh, and they, it, it doesn't mean that they're good at coaching or training people. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. It's like, if I, I could go out and drive my car, it doesn't mean that I could teach you how to, dri- how to <laughs> drive your yeah, car. Absolutely, yeah. And a, a lot of people kind of like, I think, put themselves on a, on, a, on a pedestal as personal trainers and people with fitness influencers. And they kind of created a divide between them and their audience. And I there was one day when I was creating content. It was always about like, where can I get the best angles? How can I look the best to, to my audience? And then one day, kind of come back to genetics, I've got this thing called pectus coronatum. It's where basically the rib cage is more protruded. It was always something that I was really conscious about. And one day I just thought, can we swear on this podcast? Oh, you can, absolutely. Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to... Thank, um, thank you for... <laughs> I was going to... He did swear on the podcast. We're going to edit that. <laughs> I, um, I just went out onto the road, took my camera and um, took my top off and spoke about how conscious I was about it. Uh, That's and, so and put it on social media. Yeah. And it had the best response out of any, any video I that, that I created. And I was like, wow, when I'm vulnerable and I speak about things that, and problems and issues that other people have, people connect with it more rather than me trying to be a, a show off and be something that I'm potentially not. So I think since then I was trying to be more relatable and look at problems that both we have talk about them so that other people can feel like I've got that problem. And, and so have Lucy and Ben it almost helps them in a way deal with their problem a bit, a bit better as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, in an, in an interesting way, I have to admit that I never really understood the relationship between health or fitness, let's say, mm-hmm. and aesthetics. 
I mean, does it have to be related? I mean, there are people that are incredibly fit, but don't have a six pack. Is one the result of another every time? Like if you get to a certain level of fitness, you will always have that look. So we, we've got this kind of thing that we like to stick to of our members. And there's like different pockets of fitness. So we've got like um, health, we've got aesthetics, and then we've got performance. We like to try and put people in around the middle. It's, it, it's, it's good to have aesthetic goals still, to lose weight, to drop a gene size. And then obviously health-wise, we want to look after that. We want a healthy heart. We want to make sure that we have a prolonged good quality of life. And then also we set performance goals of maybe someone wants to hit the first 5K, someone wants to get stronger. Um, so I think positioning yourself in, bet- in between those is, is really helpful. As soon as you position yourself too far in either of those either sections, of them, yeah. the the balance is, is off-tipped. And I think that's where sometimes people pick up disorderly habits and that's one of the, th- the big things about them is is habits me and me and lucy don't particularly do I and mean, this is why part of the thing is the not so fit couple we don't really do anything that's that extreme we just have oh you do we just have except oh yeah. apart, what apart, I did. apart from when we do runs and marathons and yeah, stuff i mean like lucy what did you what did uh, around 100k 100k what steps <laughs> <laughs> well so <laughs> Shall I touch on the 100k? Just yeah. To, yeah. So it's yes, please two, two. talk to me about that. I, so d- I don't even walk 100k. Like, I don't what think are most people about? do. I had a New Year's resolution last year. Yeah, I did to too, do... like to eat chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> to do an ultra marathon. So an ultra marathon is anything over a marathon distance, which is 42k, but it's usually 50k or 100k for an ultra. And New Year's Eve... I had had a bit to drink and I was having a really happy time with all my friends and I'd found a 100k ultra website and I just I paid for it and I just booked it Santa's a drunk basically yeah, yeah I was a bit drunk when I booked <laughs> it which is great a very expensive shot it was a really <laughs> expensive day, shot yeah. and and I'm really glad I did and I told people about it I said to my audience I'm running 100k more so to stay accountable to the uh-huh. fact that uh-huh. I think if I just kept it to myself, I, it might have just fizzled away. I purposely told everyone I was a, I was going to run 100K in July. I trained so hard for seven months, didn't I? Mm-hmm. As in, before that, I hadn't ran past a 22K or 25K. Yeah, I, I think that's true for me as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Never. Just, it wasn't really a runner. I do, I dabble in running. I do a bit, I did a little bit during COVID just to get outside. And I just committed to running this 100k to raise money for breast cancer because it's very much in my family we lost someone and I was just like I want to see what the human body can do I'm intrigued to see how much pain I'm going to be in like how far can you push yourself when will I break down mentally and what a great thing to just say that I've done so I had all these things that kept me going and I did it and it was great, wasn't it? It was really fantastic. It took 12 hours and six minutes and 14 seconds. I feel like I can just... Really- <laughs> no rest. You're running. We had... So they had like pit stops throughout the 100K where you'd like refuel, go to the toilet, drink. It was a really hot day. It was like the 28 degrees day. But yeah, so that is something which isn't that like that relatable. Like 5% of people will do ultras. I'm going to go and do an Ironman next. And that's just my thing. Are you? Yeah, I'd love to. One day. I, it intrigues me. But I don't say to my audience, go off and run 100K. 
I say, do you want to do your first 5k? And I can help you achieve that. They, so I try and not, I detach myself a little bit in that sense, because I have my own personal goals I really want to achieve. But it doesn't mean that if you've done your first 2k, that that isn't an amazing achievement. Like that is, yeah. 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 And it's absolutely fantastic. So don't compare to something I've done. Bearing in mind, I've been an athlete my whole life. Don't compare to my chapter 50 to your chapter one. It's absolutely fine to be where you are. Um, but the 100K was one of the best things that I've can, ever can you done. Take me, can you take me, someone who's never done this, mm-hmm. through what was happening in your mind and heart while you're running 100K? There was three significant points where I really, really wanted to give up. As in, I just stood still, tears, no way. overwhelmed. No one was around me. Very, very lonely periods of time oh that's such an interesting Um, feeling but the thing that I made sure I did was I had a picture on my phone because you're very flustered running 100k you you get your phone out your pack but every time I had those moments of massive amounts of self-doubt I had a picture of my breast cancer just giving page which to me was quite powerful because that was why I was doing it and I, I could just keep going. I could just run again because I'm like, you know what? There's people have done more. People have done, people have run more. People have achieved different things. And I'm currently achieving this. And there's no reason why you can't finish. And I had all these guys around me. I had my family there. And my support team was really great. Every time I saw them, I was laughing and joking or crying sometimes. <laughs> um, but I had so much purpose to finish that race that it was an overwhelming sense of like empowerment for me to finish and then you just kind of go numb to the pain you do yeah you go really so physically physically, physically, after a while you you just your whole body's just numb as long as you're moving forward that was the aim just keep putting one foot in front of the other i had really bad knees hips ankles but you just you get so used to it you just carry on i normally feel that way walking to the tube station (laughs) or something (laughs) Very, very inspiring. I mean, in an interesting way, again, you you sort of mix that superhero image with the reality of I stop and I cry in the middle. And yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I keep running. That's so beautiful in a very interesting way. It touched my heart because I think that's really, that's that mental struggle, if you want. This really is what we have to work on yeah. in an interesting way. We go back to Ben's story, and if you don't mind me just hitting on fitness a little bit. Do you think that being so focused on fitness is pro-mental health or against mental health? I mean, you spoke about jealousy, Mm -hmm. for example. And what should people keep in mind when they have a fitness goal? How can you also keep mentally happy be in a in a good state when it comes to your well-being i think being it's like almost like a scale or a spectrum i think if you're too far one way and you really turn that dial up to be too extreme with fitness there's going to be detrimental things that will happen to your both physical and mental health, but bodybuilding isn't hef- healthy. I think there's been, been it a, isn't no for sure. There's been a, a lot of sports stars from football, athletics that have come out with real bad eating disorders over the past few years. Because whenever you want to uh, achieve something, there's 
there's going to be sacrifice and there's also going to yeah. be other things that come come along with it. Don't think it matters what what sport you're in. If you look at any sports star that people aspire to be, there's going to be people who have won massive accolades who also come along with a, a lot of baggage. And if you aspire to be that person, you don't just get the good stuff. You get the whole package. You get the whole suit that comes with it. You can't just pick the good bit and say the bad bits go. They come with it as part of it when you're really focused and extreme on something. Um, so I think that was a difficult thing for for me to deal with because i was so extreme and focused on something and that's why a conversation that we often have with a lot of our clients and members now is that people come to us to live a healthier but happier life and to be honest this is one of the big things that we've also taken away from Yuma as well as looking at the reasons why people are doing things and a lot of people will come to us with the purpose of i want to lose weight or I want I want to drop a dress size or whatever it may be, but most people do do those things because they want to become more confident and at the end of the day be happy. So whenever people are looking at extreme things of why they're doing things, like does that really make you happy? Because whenever we're making sacrifices, uh, whenever we're working or it being health and fitness, everyone's being funneled into that end thing of they're doing it to be happier. Uh, or if they want to win something it's to, to be happier and I think whenever you're going down that extreme there's always going to be uh, kind of off-roads to it and a lot of people fall down rabbit holes that they find it difficult to to come out of because they've never experienced it before so I think whenever people are looking at those endeavors you've got to realize that whenever you are extreme or whenever you want to achieve something really big there's going to be those other parts of the baggage that that come with it and people just probably aren't prepared enough or there's not been enough people talking about the baggage that comes with it yes, so people so, so people realize that this is the potential dangers that this is the price you pay that could come with it and some people are, some people accept those because their 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 willingness to win and be successful and be a champion is that big that they're happy to accept those along the journey mm, mm. i mean in a, in an interesting way i think the idea of the price to pay is is rarely ever discussed you know especially in the you know, it's sort of nobody wants to spoil the fun when we're out there in, in the social media world. You're just talking about the mm-hmm. the reward, but not the price. And I think that becomes mm-hmm. quite damaging. It's sometimes the reward is not worth the price. Yeah. Can we talk about, uh, I mean, now from a girl's perspective, the idea of strong, not skinny is quite pivotal, I believe. I think I think the obsession with skinny mm-hmm. is really destroying a lot of lives. Yeah, I think if you go back five or six years ago, it was just skinny. It it was the size zero, the zero models. Victoria's Secret, Catwalk, for example, you had to look a certain way to be able to even step on the Catwalk, be selected. They're all size zero at the time. That's who you look up to. There wasn't really anyone else to look up to. And you can see why a lot of young girls, so younger than me at the time, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls are looking up to the people who are skinny because they were getting the validation. The people who were muscly, sportswomen or plus size, they don't really get looked at for their achievements or, or what's going on. But that's the one positive thing I will say from social media that I think anyway I've spent the past five years empowering women to be stronger and I have a platform to be able to do that, which I think is amazing, like super powerful. Obviously there's negatives about social media where you see the skinny people and you strive for that. But we have quite, we as in people who promote muscular women and being confident and being strong in your body and things like that. 
we also have quite loud voices. And over the past three or four years, this movement has changed from just wanting to be skinny to having a little bit more. So being a bit stronger and understanding that building muscle as a woman doesn't make you look like a man or this whole stereotype that women shouldn't lift weights and the gym isn't for women. There's been a massive shift in the past three or four years and I'm so proud to be a part of that movement, movement. as well. Yeah. You look at catwalks now, you look at Victoria's Secret, they have plus size models. They had a model who was muscly and she looked incredible and that's the type of person I look up to. Disney princesses, for example, they were all very skinny <laughs> Like the waists were absolutely tiny and you bring out films like Encanto, Louisa, this strong muscular Disney princess and you have young girls who can now look up to that as well which is just a massive shift for when we were growing up. We didn't have that accessibility. There was nothing to compare to except the unrealistic skinny expectations. So I would say that's a massive positive over the past couple of years, how much, there's still more to do, of course, and there always will be in so many different areas, but there is a, a very big shift. I think the main issue really, I had the joy of actually dating a very strong woman at a point in my life. And I have to say at the beginning, my mind was like, aren't muscles supposed to be masculine, mm -hmm. right? And, and, it, and the reality is that actually being feminine and kind and tender and nurturing. And it actually has very little to do with our body shape. Yeah. But that image is, is hard to erase from people's minds. I mean, yeah. with all due respect to what you said, even with Disney inserting one character here or another character there, yeah. the, the truth is we associate in our minds so strongly certain body shapes with certain attributes. Right. It's like curvy means this, skinny means that, muscles mean this, you know. And 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 it's it's quite an interesting thing to remove. I, I don't know if we are even close to that at all, to, to removing that from people's minds at all. I don't think we're that I close. I think when something's been so built into our DNA for hundreds of years, it, it's going to be difficult probably to get our, our heads around. I also think that there's probably a lot of male egos that are potentially ruffled when they see those those type of <laughs> That's women. That's a very interesting point, yeah. actually. Yeah. 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 There's I mean, a lot of guys. Again, I mean, a, lot of, a lot of hate from strange... Do, do, do you get, like, horrible comments sometimes? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Idiots. I know. Well, a lot of the time, mine is from men, though, isn't it, who, as you said, I don't know if it's an ego thing or they can't fathom a woman with muscle... They're just not happy with it. And they express that by being nasty online. Ugh. We don't really care though, do we? I think you can not care to stay at an extent, but everything is going to hit you at some point. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I want to go back to your point, Ben, but, but this is important because one of the other costs that people don't understand when it comes to being a celebrity or a, an influencer online is the number of negative uh, comments that you get. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with them? And how do you deal with yourself when you get them? It definitely depends on, well, for me anyway, how I'm feeling that day. 
if I've, for whatever reason, I'm just not having the best day and I see a negative comment because there could be hundreds of lovely positive ones, yes. you don't look at a single exactly. one of those. You're just sort of like, why? Human nature, why do you hate me? Like, <laughs> what have I done that's so wrong? If I'm if I'm just not having a, like a great day, I will respond in a way where I'm trying to validate what they said. I'm like, no, 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 like, this is what I think. Yeah, but if I'm having a great yeah. day, I'm like, oh... Like, really sorry to hear you're having a bad day. Hope all is well. And I can reply with kindness. But it really depends more so how I'm feeling. I, I openly say I'm not the best at dealing with negative comments. And I find it hard when someone will say, I have my own opinion. You chose to put yourself out there on social media. So you should expect to get bullied. And I'm a bit like, oh, well, come on. you don't put your kid in primary school and expect them to get bullied in the playground. That's not really how it works. So that's something that I really struggle with when people blame you for being on social media. That, and I'm like, you can have an opinion, 100%, but it doesn't need to be a horrible yeah. and nasty opinion. I love opinions, different ones, great discussion, but there's a there's a line and when it's crossed, I'm like, that's not an opinion, that's just nasty or rude. Yeah, I think it's a difficult one to deal with. I think you can tell people that you don't care about what other people think as much as you want. But I think deep down we all we all care a little bit. I mean, if you didn't, you'd just be a complete sociopath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. we use society to reflect yeah. like what our behaviours are. But I think especially for Lucy, I think what probably Lucy does for women or men is probably with certain piece of her content or images or the way that she presents herself, it probably holds a mirror up to a lot of other people, which then makes them self-reflect. Yeah. And it probably makes them look at the things that they're not doing or they're not achieving or they're not happy with. And then they attack the thing that makes them feel that way, which is, uh, that's true. is, is Lucy a lot of the time. And one of the things that you both touched on there was like negativity bias. So I think that's something that I've really thought about with, comments and I don't get as many nasty ones as, as you do I don't think because I think you, a lot of yours are still women as well so I think one of the ways that we discussed that on the podcast the other week was we will often go looking for those negative comments and this applies to other people as well if you get negative comments you'll go searching for, for those and a lot of the people who usually agree with you won't leave a comment or won't like there's probably that's a lot true. more there's probably a that's lot more true. people a lot more, more, yeah. yeah there's probably a lot more people that actually agree than you think they just won't say anything so, so the ones that are that disagree have an incentive to yes. say it right? yeah yes yeah. get it off their chest yeah yeah so one of the ways that we spoke about on the podcast the other week was because we had a question about this very similar if you had 10 people who left comments on a, a post or an image or whatever it may be and two of those were negative that's a 80 percent positivity score if you view it that yeah. way yeah and if you had a hundred thousand people sitting in a stadium 20,000 were booing and 80,000 were cheering. You wouldn't hear the booing. Exactly. I think if, if you change the perspective of, of the way that you view those comments sometimes, it can make you feel better yeah. just from changing the mindset rather than just focusing solely on the, yeah, the negative. I, I, I deal with this very differently, actually. The first serious negativity, I had a lot of negativity. I'm like, I'm trying to make a billion people happy. Like, seriously. Honestly, why are you upset with me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? uh, but I think the very first comment that I got uh, when I published the book, my first book here in the UK, was literally, literally, I'm not making this up, 13 minutes after the book hit Amazon. 
Really? Like literally 13 minutes. The first review I had on Solve for Happy was a one star, okay? Was someone said, I spent so much time reading this crap. I know it all. Why do people like this write books? Okay. Obviously, 13 minutes after the book came out, you did not read the yes. whole book, right? <laughs> nope. But, but it's quite interesting because I will tell you, because it was on Amazon, I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't even respond, mm -hmm. right? And very, very quickly, you know, lots of people came in and put five stars and it was wonderful and you feel the, the reassurance. But I sort of developed that very interesting view of like, you know what? I'm literally not, I'm going to pretend that the negative comment was not written. And, and in an interesting way, my theory was, don't give it any energy at all. Don't try to correct it. Don't try to object to it. Don't even read it till the end, okay? Mm -hmm. I will tell you, surprisingly, the number of negative comments kept dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping, simply because I don't give them negative energy at all. I don't give them any energy at all. Someone would say something really nasty, and I would go like, my fingers are like, I need to type something. Yeah. I need, and, and, and then I don't answer at all. And that really works for me because basically that means that the negative comment takes half a second of my time and it works for the community because there is no debate, no argument, no negativity being reinforced. And it just works really, really well for me as if they don't exist. Do you think that's something that you had to practice? A lot, of mm. course. I mean, it's so interesting how it doesn't matter how successful you are, how much difference you make. All of us, and I think our listeners need to listen to this, we just need that constant hug. You need another hug. Like you've been hugged by 5,000 people liking your last post, and then you just need one more. Can we make them 5,001? It's like, you know, one more, please, please. Like, we love it. We love the reassurance that we're doing okay in life. And the negative one, the one that slaps you, you go like, hey, you know, like you rightly said, you, you, do, you forget about the 5,000, you forget about the 80% cheering. But it's quite interesting because there is a big difference. I had a comment, I actually am not ashamed to say this, I'll say it in the podcast. I hosted here Nadim Saad, who's a, a child development specialist who has a company called Happy Confident Me, and it does beautiful work. And we were talking specifically about how teachers in school sometimes say things or do things that condition children negatively or traumatize children. Mm. And I commented and said something that basically was like, I don't like teachers in context that do that, right? But I didn't say it that way in the rush of things. And then I had someone send me a message on social media and say, I was very offended by what you said about teachers. And I completely took that on board. I was like, I am so sorry. I'm actually a huge fan of teachers. I think it's the most noble thing you can dedicate your life to of all professions. And the way she wrote it was so respectful, so very, very assertive. She was very open and said, you said this, it didn't sound nice. I am a teacher, it really offended me, but it wasn't rude. If you know what I mean, yes. it wasn't, it wasn't direct, it was directed to tell me there is something you can do better rather than directed to tell me, hey, by the way, I hate you, you're an idiot. Yeah, mm. more so critical feedback. Yeah. yeah. And I think people need to learn that, yeah. to, to be able to communicate in ways that are not to offend, but really to fix or improve, yeah. You're always going to offend someone, though, aren't you? When, if, even if you're trying to help people, you, yeah. you're going to offend someone. I think it was Jamie who 
said to really a quote that helped me deal with those kind of things when I offended people. He said, if there was an old woman in a burning building, whether you decided to rescue her or not, there'll always be someone who'll think you're a so, <laughs> is that true? Yeah. So it well, doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, <laughs> that 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 resonated with me because even if you're like you were trying to you were trying to help people be happier, you were spreading but positivity. Who would think of you as a if you try to help her? Someone, well, someone, will. Will. Yeah, someone will. Someone will. Someone will. So even with you trying to pr- spread positivity and happiness with your mission, there's, there's someone who's leaving a negative review for what? So I think you're always going to offend yeah, yeah, somebody. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is the one that actually feels good and leaves a positive review mm-hmm. that you live for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, the, the truth is, it doesn't matter how many people thrash me tomorrow. If one person's life has yes. been affected positively, then my life is worth living, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think yours too, you know, in the way that you tell people to focus on what matters, I think is really, really, really uh, noble in many ways. Oh, thanks. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I can I can talk to you for hours. I, uh, As I told our listeners at the beginning, I wasn't going to really talk about fitness that much, but I want to talk about fitness for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Like you, you said there are three parameters, three pillars. Um, you know, it's performance, it's health, and it's aesthetics, right? Yes. But you didn't tell me if you had like two tips for someone like me, I'm in my 50s now. I think I'm doing okay for 50, but yeah, I are. really still want that six pack. Right? <laughs> what do I do? What, what would be your top tips? One from you and one from you. Well, if I have to give one tip is it's not a race. It is definitely not. It's been 50 some years. <laughs> <laughs> people think you can, because of social media and because how saturated the industry is, people think you can have results in three, four, five weeks. It's not, and it's really demotivating when you say to someone you can get these results in two weeks. Mm. So after the two weeks, people switch off. Yeah. If you more so have in your head, okay, you know what? I'm in it for a little bit longer. It could be eight, 10, 12 weeks, but I'm going to stay really consistent with that and I'll be committed for that period of time. You will enjoy it so much more rather than putting the pressure on yourself because when you enjoy something, you're going to do it. Mm. And motivation comes and goes very significantly with fitness anyway if you can manage to stay consistent and not rely on this feeling of motivation that won't be there all the time you'll have a lot happier time on your journey because you're enjoying it and you're just being more consistent and you're in it for a little bit longer than just rushing the process i think there are two very very interesting gold nuggets here one one is the idea of don't rush but the other i think of enjoy it Mm. right there is going to the gym and working out yes feels bad at the beginning but it's such a joy when you're into that space you know it's actually something that you enjoy doing and i i think i mean i'm a lot less intense in my workouts now but i think the reality is that we all know there is a moment right after maybe a week or two of actually being consistent where it feels amazing. Mm-hmm. It's like, I would do this even if I don't get fit. It's just so joyful if you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, I have to say, I dislike the way you look, but um, you know, <laughs> in comparison. <laughs> and, and you have hair too. Like, you know, it's like- this, every... this, To be fair though, this is- Jealousy. Fake. This, this, this is fake, to be fair. So, <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Only a, that bit yeah. is. T- Turkey does wonders. Is it? Yes. You had a hair transplant. Yeah. Had that with Did them. you? Yeah. <laughs> About four or five years ago. Yeah. I did, no I did a YouTube, way. did a YouTube video and did the whole procedure, didn't we? Does yeah. that work? Yeah look, yeah, look at that right angle. Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm going to uh, confess something in front of like millions of people. Mm-hmm. 
My lifetime dream is to have dreadlocks. <laughs> I love that. I swear. I mean, I have two, only two things in life that I was like, what's wrong with you, God? Like, why didn't you give me those? One was dreadlocks and I wanted to be six foot three. Why? It's, well, it's not, it's fair to want Maybe to be six foot three. Maybe you can do it from the three. beard. That could be a cool one. <laughs> yeah. People were doing that, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're basically saying it won't work. <laughs> well. <laughs> Maybe I've, not. I've, 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 Aww, <laughs> they crushed me at the end of the conversation. <laughs> okay, Ben. I think for me, it's probably looking at, I think what a lot of people will tend to do in fitness is especially for me and Lucy is look at potentially the the one percent the real small things that are going to get them to places probably the easiest things that they can do in their life to get them further but they're not really looking at the things that people are doing every single day and the habits that are in their life that they could potentially change so it's probably not going out and buying the fat burner or the juice cleanse or the four week thing that's going to turn their life around really really quickly it's probably looking at their their own day more closely and the habits that they're accumulating both the good and the bad habits because for most people who come through our doors and a lot of people we speak to probably one of the biggest main goals is weight loss yeah people want to lose a, a few pounds and the easiest people and people some people won't agree with me when i say this is most people probably don't even need to go to the gym. Most people probably just need to walk a little bit more mm. and then watch what the is going from their hand to their mouth because most people are probably consuming a little bit too much for what they have to need, which is the I conversation know. that we, yeah. ha- we had know. earlier. I know that for so sure. I think if people looked at the basics of, okay, where am I day? Can I probably walk a little bit more, get some more steps in, leave my car a little bit further, not take the car? Those are kind of those small bits will add up to a lot over time. Especially if you look at that over a seven-day period, that's a lot more steps that you're probably can absolutely adding up yeah. over a long period of time rather than looking at what can I do today to affect tomorrow. You need, we need to look like longer term of those seven days of what you can do and what you can implement every day, which is going to get a better return and get more bang for your buck. Because we, <laughs> I think probably our approach is quite lazy. We want people to get the most for the littlest amount of energy put into something if that makes sense we don't <laughs> so want you to we don't want you to waste too much energy because you you, you need to apply that energy to other areas of life as well so i think if you can not be so focused on like the elite and the one percent of what they're doing and look at your day-to-day and the things that you're doing that will add up over time accumulatively to get the results that you can also stick to for a long That's period of time such a different view yeah it's not kill yourself for two weeks and then you'll get there but how long can you keep that up for yeah as a life that's why people start hating it yeah. And they just lose motivation because I wouldn't be motivated doing that. It's the same with running though as well. Yeah, Most people who start running hate it. Mm. It's because they go hard way too quickly. Mm. And what people don't realize about running is most programs will be set up with this thing called an easy run. Mm. It's called an easy run. It's because you'll be able to recover from it the next day and you'll still be motivated because you haven't ran yourself into the ground to the point where now you can't sit on the toilet yeah because you can't stand up so yeah it's it's making sure the next day that you're in a position where you can get up and do it again i promise you that changed my life so so we were talking about tim ferris's uh, four hour fitness mm-hmm. you know a great book in many ways but i had some parts of it that i didn't enjoy but the idea was so eye-opening for me because every fit friend of mine every personal trainer whatever always told me you have to kill yourself to fatigue and I was literally sore the entire week 
because by the time I was doing the same muscle group again, three days later, I was still sore from the three days ago mm -hmm. workout. And but just by changing that, especially with my age, it just changed everything. Like yeah. I really, really feel a lot better. I actually, when, when I commit, I mean, when I'm traveling too much, I don't, I can't be very consistent, but when I commit now, Without killing myself, I achieve much more results, much better results than when I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's you're, sustainable. Yeah. I'm sure you've probably done that in your work and business life as well. Like, oh yes, yeah, sure applies that. <laughs> we'll discuss that on our yeah. podcast. <laughs> okay, I I want to be very conscious of your time, but I have one last question that I think you would shed a wonderful light on because I think you have some instinctive skill and talent at it. What's your one big secret for happiness? I feel like, oh, this might be quite an anticlimactic answer, but it's the first thing that came to my head. And I've repeated this in our podcast, the physical being of smiling more, whether I'm walking down the street or I'm on a run, I will smile at every person. Even if I don't get a smile back, the physical act of me smiling does something inside of me. That's actually very scientifically proven. Uh, so so they call go. it the... Um, so basically they ran experiments. I'll, I'll get the details, it's not off my head. But if you hold a pencil between your teeth uh, to fake a smile, they basically had a test done or participants that were not smiling, that were asked to be grumpy, to look grumpy and others who held the, the pencil in their teeth. Wow. And the ones that held the pencil between their teeth simply felt happier. Uh, so it's, it's the, way, the way I know how it works is because your parasympathetic nervous system, the nervous system that basically is responsible for relaxing you to rest and digest, mm -hmm. and it also gets its signals from your body functions. So, so the way your body is, is if you're, you know, if I'm leaning forward, because I'm interested in the conversation, you know, my body responds by leaning forward when I'm interested. If I lean forward, I'll become interested. And and that's quite interesting how your body yeah. responds to that. It's so, in, if yeah. I'm not feeling the best, I will try and force smile. myself to smile because it can change how I feel and that's take amazing. on the day. Yeah. Smile. There you go. Yeah, you'll get you then. smiling now. <laughs> can't stop smiling. Then. I think one of the big things for me is... And I do this often. And that's why I've got this t-shirt on today. It's my Disney t-shirt. Like we just discussed <laughs> this morning. Yeah. Is I'm a massive Disney fan. It's, it's because it's the thing that I watched all the time in my childhood. Uh -huh. and it's, I went on a family holiday to Disney. And I've always been obsessed with it. Yeah. And whenever I'm watching Disney... I, and I still get up every Sunday and watch the Disney news, don't I? The FB guide. <laughs> it's one of the things that takes me back to when I was a child. Being a child, yeah. So it's almost that form of like a bit of escapism. So anything I, I can do which relates to my childhood that will take me back in time where I can remember being a child before work, tax, gym, whatever it is, that's what makes me happy. So I think finding something from childhood that you've potentially forgotten about yeah. helps me be happier anyway. Amazing, again, scientifically proven, by the way. So one of the things that you notice about happiness practitioners is that the happiest and the wisest people you'll ever meet are just acting like kids. I had the joy of meeting His Holiness the Dalai Lama, for example. We spent an hour and a half literally laughing like little kids. <laughs> I mean, everyone goes to meet him and talk about very complex things. And 
I don't remember. I was I was wearing a video game T-shirt, and so he comes to me and points at it and goes like, "You're the funny one. Come sit next to me." <laughs> <laughs> and we laughed our heads off for I an hour and a half, and that's what it was all about—just being kids. You mm -hmm. know, you don't have to be serious all the time. I will have to say, I don't know. Most of the people that have attend, you know, listened to this uh, podcast or or watched the video until now may have not had the same joy I had because you have such a wonderful energy to oh, both okay. of you. Thanks. And when you're together, it's just so overwhelmingly positive and beautiful and pure and loving. And I think it really is quite refreshing to be in the presence of that beyond the videos and images online. Wonderful human beings in so many ways. I'm so grateful that you joined me. I think many people will be inspired by this. You've made a difference today. So thank you for coming. Thank okay. you so much for having us. I'm smiling yeah. like a Cheshire cat now. My cheeks are hurting. Smile, smile yes. Everybody smile. <laughs> smile. No, thank you. It's amazing. And for all of you listening, I once again will thank you for giving me the excuse to meet such wonderful people all the time. I loved, loved, loved this conversation. I can't even describe to you how my heart feels now because these are two wonderful human beings. I encourage you to follow their work. It is a no-nonsense approach to, to really being fit, not being an illusion that is not achievable. I have to say that they really took a very long time to come and, and join me here today, more than a five hours trip. So I'm very grateful for that. It's all because of you. So maybe share that conversation with others and uh, let others who may benefit from it know that there is something to listen to or watch here. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I will remind you before we go that there is always a tiny bit of time for you to slow down. I love you all for listening and I will see you next time.